This morning, God's Word comes to us from 1 John chapter 2. We read these verses earlier in our service. I'm going to read just the first two verses of 1 John chapter 2. What we hear now is God's Word. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are coming to a a transition point in the sermon series we are currently doing on the doctrine of salvation. We have been looking at the various facets of our salvation. I suggested the picture of holding a diamond up and seeing the various uh, parts of beauty in that diamond. We began this uh, sermon series talking about the necessity of the atonement. The necessity, because we are fallen, because we are sinful, we need someone to take our sins away. And Jesus Christ came and did that perfectly. We talked about the nature of the atonement. The nature of the atonement as expiation, a removal of both the guilt and the sin that we have. We talked about the nature of the atonement as propitiation, that God's wrath was covered over by the blood of the sacrifice of Christ. We talked about reconciliation, that we have been restored to fellowship with God. And last time, we talked about redemption, the fact that a price had to be paid to accomplish all of these blessings that we now enjoy. And so we come to a transition point. We're going to take a little bit different look uh, next week and following. But before leaving this part of the series, I wanted to do one more uh, sermon, this time on the extent of the atonement. All of these wonderful blessings, who are these blessings for? Or to ask the question a different way, for whom did Christ die? For whom did Christ die? And you say, well, just look at the text we read this morning. It's very, very simple. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Christ died for the world. He died for everyone. These blessings are for all. I don't think it will come as a surprise to you when I tell you our church does not believe that Christ died for absolutely each and every person head for head. We are not a church that believes in the end there is a universal atonement, that everyone goes to heaven. Love wins. God's love outshines His wrath and His justice. We believe in a limited atonement. Now that, that, that truth is not common in evangelicalism today, but you will hear in many churches, in most churches, Christ died for everyone. Christ died for the whole world. Christ died for everyone head for head. 
We say he didn't. Our text seems to say he did. (laughs) He's the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Are we wrong? Are we wrong to hold the position of a limited atonement? We believe that Christ died for absolutely each and every one of the elect. He died for each and every one of his own. Now, perhaps for some of you who have grown up in this congregation, sat under the ministry of the Word for years and years, that does not come as a surprise to you. We believe in a limit to the atonement. But if if one of your friends asked you, how can you say Christ didn't die for the whole world? The Bible seems to say Christ died for the whole world. One of your friends takes you to 1 John 2, verse 2. He is the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. How would you answer their questions? This morning we're going to talk about the extent of the atonement. And to do that, we begin by reminding ourselves of a fundamental truth. And that is, the Bible never contradicts itself. The Bible never has a true contradiction. There are things that perhaps to us may seem contradictory, but the Bible never contradicts itself. We don't don't take one text and pull it out of Scripture to the exclusion of every other text. But we read Scripture in light of Scripture. If you want to know what a text means, you read it in its context, in its closer context and farther context. In this verse, we have the reference to a propitiation. You remember, children, propitiation is a turning aside of the wrath of God. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. John, the same author, in his gospel, talks about God's wrath. And in John 3, verse 36, we read this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John says those who believe have eternal life. Those who do not are still under the wrath of God. And so when we read in the epistle of John, he is the propitiation, the one who turns aside God's wrath, not for us only, but also for the world. Whatever that means, it cannot be in conflict with what he says in his gospel, that the wrath of God remains. This text simply can't mean that the wrath of God is taken away from absolutely every person head for head. If that's the case, it is in conflict with John's Gospel in chapter 3. How do we understand this text? He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Well, we recognize that, that John uses the word world 
in a variety of ways. Doesn't always mean the same thing. Sometimes he uses that term to refer to the physical world, to creation, to the, 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 the things that we see around us. That's the world, that which is created. Well, obviously he's not using it that way here because there is no propitiation necessary for the creation itself. Sometimes he uses this term to refer to people in general. Again, from the Gospel of John, same author. We want to find us, you know, as close of a comparison as we can. In John chapter 12, verse 19, Jesus has entered Jerusalem. There are many people coming to see him. And in John 12, verse 19, we read this. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The world is going after Jesus. Now, did John mean absolutely everyone in the whole world was trying to follow Jesus? Not even everyone in Jerusalem was trying to follow Jesus. He certainly does not mean absolutely each and every person. He means people in general. There were a bunch of people who were following Jesus. The world is following him. People in general. Not absolutely every person in the whole world. Sometimes John uses the word world in contrast to the church. There is the church and there is the world. For example, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 9, Jesus says, I am praying for them, for the church. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I'm praying for the church, Jesus says. I'm not praying for the world. World in distinction from church. That's how the term is used sometimes. When John, in the beginning of his gospel, says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What does he mean when he says the sins of the world? Absolutely each and every person? Well, I guess to get a handle on that, we go to probably the most well-known verse, not only in John, but perhaps in the Scriptures themselves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. Who is that world that God loved? Is it each and every person indiscriminately? Well, the verse itself answers that question. God loves and so he gives eternal life. To whom does he give eternal life? To those who believe that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. No, John 3.16, rather than teaching a universal atonement, teaches a limited atonement. God's love is for those who believe in him. What does he mean in 1 John chapter 2, 
not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Well, remember who is writing and who is being written to. John writes to them, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the one that turns aside God's wrath, not for us only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John is writing to a primarily Gentile, non-Jewish audience. He's writing to those who did not grow up in the covenant. And you can almost imagine them hearing these words, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oh, that's fine for you, John. Sure, you have an advocate. You are are one of the disciples. You're one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter and James and John. You're part of Jesus' inner circle. Of course, you have an advocate. John says, no, it's not just for me as part of the inner circle. It's not even just for me as one of the disciples. We have an advocate. It's not even for me just as a Jew. The Jews had received so many blessings from God. Theirs were the covenants. Theirs were the law. Theirs were all the promises. John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world. For you Gentiles too! That's John's point. Not that there is this advocate for absolutely each and every person indiscriminately, but you too. You too, Gentiles, have an advocate with the Father for everyone who believes Jesus Christ the righteous. That's the world. That's the whole world. The gospel is to be embraced by faith by everyone. And that's a good reminder for us today as well. It's very easy for us to to think of the church and those who belong to the church, that the gospel is really something for uh, for the upper middle class. The gospel is really something for those who are fairly well-educated. No, the gospel is for all who believe, for all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. It is for all kinds of people. There is no one who does not fit in the church when they embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. It is for all those chosen by God who believe. It is not a universal atonement, but there is a limit to the atonement to each and every one of God's chosen. And this this wonderful gift to each one of those is to have a Savior. My children, I write these things to you so you won't sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate, one who speaks in our defense. We talked about this in our uh, Minor Prophets series with regard to Micah uh, not so long ago. One who speaks on our behalf. And he is the only one to whom we can turn 
for salvation. He is an exclusive Savior. He is the only Savior. We don't look for any other advocate. We don't pray to anyone else but Him. We don't pray to Mary hoping she will intercede on our behalf. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to the disciples. We don't pray to dead relatives. We have one and only advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the only Savior. He is the exclusive Savior. There is no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved. Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. The Father would send His own Son to secure our salvation, to do everything necessary. He is the propitiation for our sins. He covers over God's wrath. There is no one else, no one else except for Jesus Christ who is able to do that. Dr. Squeers preached for us last Sunday evening about the perfections of Christ as a mediator, truly human and also truly divine. No one but a divine God could withstand the wrath of a divine God. There are not many ways to heaven. It is not the case that, you know, it really doesn't matter what God you believe in, as long as you believe in some God. You can pick the Christian God, if you like. You can pick the Jewish God, if you like. You can pick the Muslim God, if you like. You can pick a God of your own making, if you like. It is not the case that there are many ways to heaven. There is one and only one way. We have an advocate, the only advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so this morning, I don't... Uh, I don't implore you to pick a God and have faith in Him. But I lay before you the one and only Savior, the one and only Mediator, Jesus Christ, the one and only Advocate. Put your faith and trust in Him, in this perfect Savior, the one who came to perfectly do everything necessary to secure our salvation. He is one who, who came and did everything for us. And that glorious truth, that glorious truth gives us a wonderful comfort, a comfort for those who believe the gospel. That there is this particular group who will be saved. God has determined there are people who will be saved and therefore they will come to faith. And Jesus came to secure that salvation and to give that comfort to each and every one of his own. Jesus did not come to make an offer of salvation to you. He did his part, now you do your part. He did not come to make salvation possible for you. If that were the case, that Jesus only came to make salvation possible, we know, left to ourselves, we are dead in transgressions and sins, and a dead man will never embrace Jesus Christ. No, that is the work of God by His Spirit to make us alive, to give us that gift of faith, 
by which we may embrace Jesus Christ and all of his blessings and all of his benefits. He did it all. That is the greatest comfort to a believer. I don't have to ask myself, have I done enough to secure my salvation? There are no works I need to offer to secure my salvation. Jesus Christ has offered the perfect work, the perfect sacrifice, and I simply embrace that by faith. When I begin to question, am I really a Christian? I don't look to me. <laughs> I don't look to the greatness of my faith, but the one in whom I have placed my faith and the perfection of his finished work knowing that there is this particular people chosen by God who will come to faith is the greatest confidence for those who believe the gospel. And it is also our confidence when we share the gospel. The fact that there is a limited atonement should in no way discourage evangelism. We've been talking about this in our Wednesday evenings backyard Bible study. That, that the truth of election and the truth of limited atonement in no way discourages evangelism. In fact, it undergirds evangelism. Because there are those whom God has chosen. We don't know who they are. And so we are free to indiscriminately share the gospel with everyone. And it's not up to us to make anyone a Christian. God, that is God's work, and he knows on whom that gospel will fall, on whom he will open up their ears and their hearts, and they will embrace. But our obligation is simply to share that wonderful truth. It is so freeing to know that, that God has his own. He knows his own. And he, he will include us in that glorious task of calling his own to be with him. The limited atonement must never limit our obedience in sharing the gospel with those around us. In fact, the truth that there is this particular number God has chosen gives us comfort, gives us assurance. There are those who will respond, and that response is due to the work of God by the power of His Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For whom did Christ die? For each and every one of the elect. For each and every one of the of God's chosen for all kinds of people, for people throughout the entire world. He died for people even like us, fallen, sinful, in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ came to do everything necessary to secure our place with God. Oh, we can be so thankful that God has a particular, definite number of people whom he has called to be his own. And each of them, he will take all the way from this life into eternity. Let's join together in prayer.
Lord our God, we recognize the beauty of your holy word. We recognize the importance of reading that word carefully, not uh, pulling it apart, taking one text to the exclusion of all others. We thank you that you did send your son Jesus Christ to die for the world, for each and every one of your elect. Lord God, we thank you that we can, by faith and by your grace, be numbered in that great company. Help us, Lord God, to take great joy and great comfort in the fact that you have your own, you know your own, and you will call your own to live with you now and to live with you forever. We praise you for your perfection, for your work of salvation. Hear our prayer. For Jesus' sake, amen.